What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Before we dive into this week's interview, I wanted to give you all a quick heads up that the 2021 edition of CMX's Community Industry Report is now available. We had over 500 community professionals and teams participate in this survey, which aimed to answer questions like, what is the value of community to businesses and what are the most popular metrics used for measuring community? We looked at the impact of COVID-19 on communities and virtual events, and we dove into how community teams are investing in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and for the first time gathered data on the representation of different races and ethnicities in the community industry itself. There are loads of interesting insights in this report, and you can download it all for free today. Just head to cmxhub.com. Again, that's cmxhub.com, and you can download the report there. All right, let's dive into today's interview. Today's interview is with Kat Fellows, the author of We Should Get Together, an awesome book all about how to build friendships with a focus on people who are living in more urban areas today. It's a bit of an interesting topic for this podcast in that it's not directly focused on building community, but obviously if you can help your members form deeper relationships and friendships, you're going to have a much more valuable community. So we talk all about what are the different reasons that people are struggling to find connection today in today's modern society around social media, people moving around more, COVID-19 and how that's impacted people's ability to form relationships. She shares the four seeds of connection, which is a really interesting way of thinking about what are the ways to form deeper relationships and how can you help your members find those deeper, more meaningful relationships within your community. Kat spent five years researching how people are forming relationships before publishing this book. So there's tons of really interesting insights and data. You're going to love it. Let's dive in. Kat, welcome to the show. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on the show. So glad to have you here. Been excited to chat for a while. I think your book is like something that every single person needs right now as we're all trying to figure out how to make friends and not be completely lonely and isolated during the pandemic. And so I think both for community builders who are just trying to understand how to build relationships in their community and just for all the listeners as individuals, uh, I think we're going to learn a lot today. So we should get together. It's an awesome book. I had a chance to read through it. Lots of practical tips on how to form friendships, why it's hard to make friendships today, uh, what are specific tactics that people can use to form friendships We'd love to just kick off with like your story and how did you come to end up writing a book about friendship? I'm someone who's always really enjoyed friendship and community. I've run multiple communities over the last couple decades and I really value high quality, you know, human to human connection. And uh, I've moved around a lot as well in my adulthood. I've lived different cities, moved different states, started over from scratch a couple times and never really had an issue making uh, new friends or forming new community. I'm introverted, but I'm not shy. So I'm like very comfortable talking with people. And as a facilitator, you know, there's a part of extroversion that comes with like being the convener of, of spaces. And when I moved to the Bay Area about seven years ago, I had a wonderful time starting from scratch and like meeting new people. It's full of really interesting people here. But I also had a difficult time getting ongoing friendships and community that were like 
sticking around. Um, the Bay Area is a really transient place and people are super busy and there's a lot of commuting, certainly pre-pandemic people did. And so people were always on the go and also moving away a lot. And I found it difficult to get an ongoing, <laughs> like a deeper set of connections happening. And so the more people I talked to about it, the more other people said they were having the same challenge and that they were also having trouble making friends. And I thought that was, you know, kind of unusual because they were all really lovely and like, wonderful people. And so I just started digging into the research around connection and friendship. And I found out a lot about the loneliness epidemic and the way that it was really growing and growing across the United States. And I just got really fascinated with the topic. And as a user experience designer, you know, my my job is to make things easier for people. And so uh, this was a problem I encountered that was really relevant to me and the people I cared about. And so I wanted to make that easier for people. And that's why I researched and wrote the book. It's awesome. You worked on the book for quite a few years, didn't you? I did. I did. And along the way, I did a lot of things that were sort of testing out different hypotheses, some of which made it into the book. Uh, I started a group called Better Than Small Talk. I started another group for Black designers. I was doing events and, and really um, bringing people together to be in spaces where authentic connection and engagement could occur and give people more tools to then go out in their own lives and create more connection as well. And in trying these things myself and trying these things with other people, I was able to get over the hump with friendship and, and give people a lot of other support that they could use in their own lives as well. That's awesome. Do you think that, or have you found that that challenge is unique to the Bay Area that is very transient and people are coming and going? Or do you find that that's true in other cities around the country? It was true in many other cities around the country as well. And my research mostly focused on the experiences of people living in urban areas, like larger cities, which are the fastest growing regions and you know populations of people. And um, although that was the focus of my research, I did also talk to people who were in suburban areas or rural areas who also were experiencing disconnection. And I think it's a larger conversation and awareness that more people need to have across the country, but particularly in places where it would seem, it seems like an oxymoron, right? Like you're in a city, there's so many people, why would anybody be lonely? And it, interestingly, that is extremely common and has been for many, many years, like reaching back uh, into the start of cities in the United States, like when people started moving from farms to cities, like back in the day, like this is a trend that is actually quite old <laughs> and is not that unusual, but it feels unusual because feeling lonely when you're surrounded by a ton of other people actually feels lonelier than being lonely when you're by yourself. Mm, so it's like, they're all right there. Like, why can't I just connect with them? Exactly. What is it about cities that makes it so hard to actually connect with people? Well, there's a lot of things. So one is that in the absence of um, personal space, uh, whether it's mental space, physical space, feeling squashed, feeling crowded tends to lead people to kind of like want to kind of put their guard up a little bit. You know, it's like either energetically or emotionally or physically, you know, wanting to have a little bit of space just to be like, oh my gosh, I am my own person. I'm not like being pulled and pushed by this ebbing flow of this tide of people at all times. That's natural, right? It's like we'll be overrun if we're just in constant push and pull and, and engagement with like every single person that you pass on a sidewalk. If you think about walking down a really busy New York sidewalk or walking through like busy, like busy business district in San Francisco and things like that, like people are always on the go and it, it can be overwhelming. And on the other hand too, in places like this, particularly ones that are 
ruled by business and innovation, um, sometimes interactions get a little transactional, especially in places like this where a lot of people are here to work on their career, they're climbing the ladder. And so sometimes it can feel transactional where there's this underlying uh, sheen of like, oh, like, who are you? Like, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? How should we like collaborate on like (laughs) doing some business deal? And it's like, that's cool. And that's helpful, particularly for that type of interaction, but not necessarily if you're like trying to make a a best friend, (laughs) right? (laughs) which should not be transactional. My my wife always talks about how she's a middle school math teacher. And whenever we like go out and she'll meet someone new, she always comments how people always ask her, like, so what do you do? And then as soon as she says she's a middle school math teacher, they just kind of like tune out. (laughs) The worst. It's the worst. Bay Area. (laughs) Yeah. And so that level of like judgment or assessment or, you know, competition, it really can hinder feelings of closeness and acceptance. (laughs) Hmm. That's really interesting. So have you found that like the flavor aesthetic of loneliness in more rural areas is different than in cities, even though they're both loneliness? Yes. And I do want to caveat that I did not specifically research into rural loneliness. Okay. So I don't want to overspeak, but there were differences certainly in the flavors and, and the experiences of them as well. It feels like it's like a unique kind of challenge that that folks have in cities. So I've lived in cities for a long time now, and it's just it feels hard to, if you compare it to suburbs or something like that, where you're seeing the same people over and over again, people kind of like get to know each other. Mm -hmm. When you're in a city, yes, there's a lot of people there, but you just kind of like pass each other very passively. Like there's so many people that it's almost impossible to like zone in on any one person or really kind of have that repetition that it seems is important for a community or for friendships to form. Absolutely. And there's something else that I notice as well that is really hard to shake. And it's this feeling of disposability. I mean, when there's so many people everywhere, and it's very distracting. First of all, it's like, where do you give your attention? And how do you build that repetition like you're talking about? But also, I worry about this uh, sense of disposability that people have when there's just so many other people you can turn to. It's like the impetus to look for like, oh, maybe there's a better fit or maybe there's someone else. It kind of reminds me of Tinder. You know, it's like people just like shopping for humans and like swiping away, swiping away, throwing away that one, throwing away that one. And I worry about bringing that kind of mindset into any kind of intentional relationship building endeavor, because at some point you need to just focus on somebody and give them your attention. And if you think everyone's disposable or like at the first sign of difficulty or incompatibility, you just like run the other way. It's like you're never going to get satisfied. You're going to be constantly switching out, looking for a better fit, looking for a better fit, and then maybe never actually getting with anybody. (laughs) And that's true in dating and that's true in friendship. Uh, At some point, you need to say, I'm going to build something. Yeah, that's really interesting. It's almost like there's so many people there's so much of a supply of potential friends to put in like business terms in a city that like, Mm -hmm. you know, you feel like, well, I can find the perfect person in all this mix rather than like, well, I have these hundred people. So I'm going to have to make it work with some people here and start to work on it together. Absolutely. That's really interesting. And then I think like on a similar level, and you talk about this in the book, social media has kind of exacerbated that to now now you have like limitless options for connecting with people and finding people and 
um, proximity. The the argument is that like proximity is no longer a hindrance to forming relationships because you can connect with people everywhere. Has that caused us to kind of lose our ability to form closer connections in in our regular life? I think that it does play a factor. It's not like the sole you know fault of everything that's gone wrong in in the level. We can't just blame it all on social media. It's not. But it's so much fun. (laughs) It's so easy, right? (laughs) I mean, social media has a lot of good things about it, a lot of bad things about it. You know, one good thing is like you can connect with people who are far away much more easily. You know, you can share moments from your lives. You can um, just chat in between your workday, like have these like small touch points that help you feel like you are still connected to that person. And with that, sometimes those interactions give us uh, the illusion of closeness when we're not actually that close or you would maybe, you know, chat or share a meme on on Twitter, but like, would you call them if you were in a real time of need? With that illusion of closeness, I described this in the book uh, from some of the research I found was coming out of the 1950s. A couple of psychologists named Richard Wall and Donald Wharton found that this experience that they called parasocial interaction is what they were describing uh, shortly after television became ubiquitous and people felt like they had a relationship with the celebrities that they were observing in entertainment. And similarly, now that many of us, you know, have a little tiny, kind of like a little tiny television in your pocket where you can just observe the lives of celebrities and people that you know, when you just absorb this kind of um, one-sided voyeurism or surveillance or consumption of details about other people, it can sort of feel like you have a relationship with them. Mm. People have written about this where, uh, you know, one woman I describe in the book felt like she was closer to her favorite country music star because she was following his life and his wife's life so closely on social media, but they don't even know maybe who she is. So it's not a real relationship. And I worry that sometimes with the one-sidedness of social media interactions, it can feel like the illusion of closeness when we're not really building a two, two-way closeness. That's yeah. super interesting. And also like everyone's kind of a micro celebrity these days too, because everyone has, you know, everyone, if, if you're posting on Instagram, if you're creating anything online, then, you know, you're also like kind of forming these pseudo relationships and that people are following you. And maybe that also makes you feel like you have a social network, even if you don't actually know any of those people. Exactly. It's really interesting. Did you look at all into kind of the biological background of that? Like what boxes does that check for us in in our brains that like still makes us feel like we're getting this social connection, but it's not actually serving us? Well, I definitely admire the work of other authors and researchers who dig into this topic, one of whom is Sherry Turkle. Mm. Uh, She wrote a really wonderful book, uh, I believe it was called Alone Together, and she um, has written a lot about this, how technology interrupts and sometimes disrupts negatively the human-to-human connection that we are building. So that's someone that I really respect in this realm as well. So like we have this biological need for connection Mm, that's meant to like have us actually form relationships. And it seems like there's all these kind of systems right now that kind of like check that part of our brain. Like it kind of gives us that dopamine that like makes us feel like we're actually getting those social relationships, but we're not actually getting what we need. Yeah. And that also reminds me of the fact that humans are in being social creatures. We're also constantly checking for in the hierarchy of our cultures, like where we fall in the hierarchy and like, and 
wanting to see, for example, the way social media like exposes follower counts and like counts. Mm-hmm. It's like there's this constant checking of like, how am I how am I doing compared to everybody else? Like, how am I doing compared to that person, this person? And I don't think that's healthy. You know, yes, it's maybe being, you know, evolved from apes. Like that's a part of maybe what we'll always do. But we can choose to surround ourselves with tools or devices or things that uh, prey on that built-in desire for belonging uh, and to understand where we where we fit in or we can maybe choose to do things that actually give us a feeling of belonging but don't stoke that kind of like neurotic checking all the time of like am i good enough am i good enough you know god like yes you're good enough (laughs) you are so worthy (laughs) yeah well if you think about like why we do that right when we're smaller tribes how do you actually improve your reputation in the hierarchy you are useful right you like provide a service that other people want and need and trust you. And so that's like what we felt rewarded by back then. But now we can feel rewarded by kind of all these little micro things that actually have nothing to do with whether or not we're actually forming relationships with people around us and we're providing value to them. And the people who are really good at forming relationships tend to raise in esteem, you know, the people who, you know, bring people together for games and connection and closeness are then raised in the esteem of everybody else. So there's a really useful lesson in there for each person of like, how can you live more of that in your own life? How can you bring more of that to the world? Yeah, so I'm curious in the world of community building in our industry, as I'm sure you've seen, there's a lot of talk about the loneliness epidemic and how people are feeling more isolated. And we talk about how like, okay, well then community building is really important. We need to be building more communities to solve this problem. You and I talked about like the different levels of connection that we can have and kind of the different circles. And you talk about like acquaintances versus friends versus close friends in the book. So I'm curious, like does does building community, which in, in general, I think means kind of like a larger group of people that are kind of collaborating and connecting, does that solve the loneliness problem? Or do we actually need to be much more focused on, you know, just a couple close friends? I think it's both. And community is a wonderful source of those friendships. And sometimes those friendships lead us to community. But I really think of them as uh, two like branches on the same tree, if you will, that it really is both. I don't think for me, and again, I'm not speaking for everybody, but for me, I think life is full when there's a bit of both, when there are those like intimate close friendships with just a few people. And then of course there's the outer rings of like less close friends, but you know, you, you feel good with them. They're your homies. They can come to your birthday, you know? And then there's like the friendly acquaintances. And then there's community where there are interrelated ties between each individual person. So it's not just like a pile of disparate people that don't know each other, but they all know you. In community, there's a sense of like belonging within the group to each mm-hmm. person in the group with each person in the group. I wonder if people would feel similarly to what we described in like the city context of like, especially now there's so many communities that people can join. And I've heard talk of like community overload, like how many Slack groups can you possibly join? Could that have a similar effect where it's like you, you're spending all of your time in these kind of like community spaces And it feels like you're scratching a social itch, but you're still lacking those closer relationships. Oh, man, that is a good one. That is a really juicy topic right there. (laughs) Because there is definitely, you know, with over over subscribing, 
to communities. Right. It's sort of like overextending yourself with friendship, mm. you know? How close can each one get if you can really only give each one five minutes of your time? Mm. And what I'm a proponent of is building intimacy and depth. And sometimes that means saying no to yet another community to join or yet another invitation uh, for friendship. You know, I, I talk about this in the book. At one point, I was sort of oversubscribed in my quest to build better friendships. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes to everything. And then I realized, I was like, I'm yeah. actually tapped out. I don't have the bandwidth to maintain each of these friendships at the depth and level that I really want. So I need to start pulling away from some of them. And I had a conversation with a new friend I had made and she wanted to hang out so much more than I was actually available. And I had to like have, I had to be honest and I had to say, I'm really sorry. Like you deserve much more attention than I'm going to be able to give you. And here's why. And like, here's how I can support you, but here's what I can't give, you know? And that's a hard conversation. I don't think a lot of people. That's a really hard conversation. Want to have that conversation. Instead, they'll like ghost or something. Right. But that's, I mean, there's some occasions maybe where ghosting makes sense, but that's not like what I wanted to do with her. And so I was just really honest. And I think it took away any kind of like mystery or worry that it was something wrong with her. I was like, no, 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 it's not you. Yeah. I got to be honest about how much time I have, right. you know? And I think that we need to do the same thing with, with our friendships and with our communities as well. It's like, gosh, every time I learn about another awesome community, I'm like, yeah, I want to be a part of it. But then I'm like, no, I don't need another hundred Slack groups. And now I don't have time to go to like 10 other social events, even if they're online every month, you know? So I think it's important to be intentional, mm. be honest with your time, be generous with your energy to the point where you can really give what you intend to give and create what you want to create. I love that. It's funny. I think like um, I was just having this conversation with another community professional and there was a thread in the CMX group recently where someone asked like, what's your favorite community to participate in? And kind of like everyone just responded like, oh, like I don't, I don't have the energy to participate in other communities. Like I run my <laughs> community and that's about all I, I can, I don't participate in other communities. And I think it's actually a common thing for community builders to not actually participate in a lot of other communities because just emotionally they put so much into the space that they're running. That is so real because it is such a intensive draw of energy and intention and attention to run a community that it can be really hard to then find time to be a participant, even though getting to be a participant in someone else's community can feel so indulgent and luxurious. <laughs> you, you don't have to like organize everything. You get to just there i know <laughs> but <laughs> but you know we show up and we're like ooh, like that onboarding process could be improved and <laughs> <laughs> oh i, I want to become now you start wanting to like like you know who's the community builder in the room because they already start like setting up cups and like handing out name tags it's like you don't even work here and you just start <laughs> doing it <laughs> yeah it's so true i feel really called out by that <laughs> <laughs> I think it is interesting too. I remember talking about this recently where it's like, I think it ebbs and flows the size of community that we need. And we kind of crave the size of community that we don't currently have. Mm. It's something I've objectively witnessed. I don't have data behind it, but it's like, if we're like really invested and we see our close friends a lot, but like we, we kind of feel a little bit disconnected from the zeitgeist, like knowing what's going on in our industry or in the world, or we want to like learn something new. Then you start seeking these broader communities with a breadth of kind of diverse perspectives and ideas and places that you can learn from like a wide range of people. 
but then when you like do that for a long time and you find yourself like learning a lot and talking to lots of different people and and you know opening yourself up to lots of new opportunities then you kind of like get exhausted by that or you've like kind of gotten a range of perspectives and now you're seeking more depth and you start to focus in on a smaller group again it's finding the balance and allowing yourself to kind of move from one scenario to the other, taking like lessons and gifts and and finding, again, that balance and cultivating both to a level of quality. Yeah. Yeah. And and kind of recognizing the fluidity in it. Like you're not just going to have like one group forever, friends come and go, relationships mm-hmm. evolve, networks evolve. And so just kind of pay attention to what you need now. Yeah. And it's important to acknowledge that things do evolve and it is okay to let them go and to know that that is just a part of life. You know, it's not summer year round. Well, near the equator it is, maybe in Hawaii, I'd like to be there. But like we have seasons for a reason, you know, and it's okay for certain communities or certain friendships to like take up space for a time. And then like maybe as you evolve and change and grow, like then there's there needs to be room for something else, you know? Totally. So we'll have to talk practically now because you have a ton of really good practical advice and, and kind of frameworks in the book. What can someone do today if they want to start forming new relationships? Um, And I know you talk about the four seeds of connection. Like, what are the four things that will help someone form new friendships? I thought was really interesting. We'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So the seeds of connection I described in the book, uh, and I kind of break each of these down in each section. But the really what I found in the research was that there were four things that people could do to help grow a friendship with intention and with good success. All of them are important in their own way. You don't necessarily have to have all of them at 100% all the time for a friendship to grow or be successful. That's important to know. But the more you have of each one, the better off you're going to be. So one certainly is compatibility. It's hard to make friends with someone that you don't feel compatible with. Uh, Two is frequency. Three is commitment. And four is proximity. And of course, right now we're still in the pandemic. Proximity has been much more difficult for a lot of people. And so maybe they're doing more of the other three to solidify or fortify their friendships by, you know, doubling down on your commitment, maybe having more frequency in different formats. And then again, affirming the compatibility and closeness that you have with the people that you do have chemistry with. It's like build on that when you have that. It's such a gift. And within each of these, again, there's like more details, right? So compatibility includes things like chemistry, but then commitment, uh, we make evident in things we do to like build trust, to demonstrate caring, to show our dedication, things like that. Did you find in your research that like one of these things tends to be a more common challenge for people than others? Yes. Two of them actually came up quite a bit as challenges, which I break down later on in the book. So one is frequency, and typically that suffers when people feel very busy. I'd have a a comic in there about like the adult friendship gym, and it's like the treadmills, like you're like, let's catch up soon, and like your little yoga mat's like, when's good for you? And then it's like, I'm busy, let me get back to you, weight lifting. And then, you know, endurance, you got to just stick with it and try again next month. And so, yeah, frequency tends to suffer when people feel like they don't have enough time for friendship. And then when they let too much time elapse in between their connections, then that connection can either feel um, more superficial or it can be harder to get back to a place of depth or to establish a place of depth. And interestingly, when you have gotten to a place of true depth with someone before, then the really cool thing about frequency is it kind of takes on like a magical tone where like it doesn't matter how much time has passed you can pick back up where you left off. And that is an experience many people want, you know? 
it's a sign of a very resilient friendship. And uh, the other one I mentioned, which was commitment, that typically tends to suffer or come up, you know, come up upon issues when people don't feel like they have the level of intimacy that they want in their friendships. And there's a whole section in, in the later in the book where I talk about getting better at getting closer. And that frequently comes from really being intentional, thinking about things like vulnerability and how we show up and what we talk about and what we share with each other and how that can be such an amazing catalyst for closeness. And unless you're willing to take the risk to do those things, it's going to be a lot harder to develop that depth, which then makes it harder to feel like the level of commitment that you want in a reciprocal friendship. Really, I just have like a hundred more questions just based on that. One thing that comes to mind is that ideally or what we hope for is that like these things kind of form organically that like you know we meet someone over time we get more comfortable with each other and we have opportunities to be more vulnerable with each other and the relationship deepens and frequency kind of just like takes care of itself because you like to see each other <laughs> but the reality and, and kind of the premise of the book is that like these things don't always happen organically and it's important for us to be able to kind of facilitate those four seeds and, and make sure they can happen rather than just leaving them to chance. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Mm -hmm. That is true. So I'm curious, like, what are some practical things? Maybe we can even just focus in on those two most popular ones with frequency and commitments. What are some practical things that people can do to make sure that that happens and they don't just leave it to chance? Yeah. So in the book, each section does have a set of recommendations and uh, suggestions for people can do to put it into practice. So like, for example, with frequency, one of the things that you can certainly do is to actually have a conversation with the people that you're acquaintance with or friends with to say, like, how do you feel about the frequency that we see each other? Do you want more? Do you want less? And to not just guess, because interestingly, I did this myself with some of my friends here in the Bay Area where I was like, you know, it was the beginning of the year, like January, I sent an email to a bunch of people. It was like, I really want to have closer friendships. I really like all of you. Like, how do you feel about the frequency we see each other? Do you want to see each other more or less? And it was really interesting because some people were like, wow, I love this. I totally want to see you more. And another friend of mine was like, wow, I love this. And I'm actually good. Like, I don't actually feel like we should see each other more frequently. <laughs> yeah, or like, she only has capacity. She was like, just had a new baby and like totally. had her, was running her business. She's like, I don't actually have capacity. But I, I feel really good about what we have. I don't need more. And so that's really useful to know because then you can be intentional and know a little bit more about how the other person feels. It's kind of like dating. It's like, are, do you want to take to the next level or do you want to just stay where we are? It's like, are you going to just guess or make an assumption? Or like, maybe you should have a conversation, you know? Um, so that's one thing is like thinking about like how, how many doses you're getting of your friends and how much more or less you want of each other. Right. And then with commitment, that one I think is really important and that there's like a whole spectrum of how deep that goes at the very, very like light, like first step part of it is like being open. If you're looking for new friends or closer friends, like being willing to say that to people so they don't have to guess or assume or think you're all good. It can feel really vulnerable, especially if you're new in town, but unless you say, Hey, I'm here, I am here to make friends. I really want more beautiful close friendships in my life and these are the kinds of things I like to do, then like it's not just gonna happen. Like you wouldn't expect a romantic partner to just like show up in your life if you did like no action and said to no one ever that you were looking for a partner. So you gotta kind of be open about it. And then within those friendships, once they start developing, it's important to show up for each other. You know, I've talked about vulnerability 
a huge challenge that comes up in a lot of the conversations I have is people worry about being a burden to other people. They worry that like, oh, I don't want to talk about my problems. I don't want to be a burden to anybody. I don't want to ask for help. You know, it's like, we're so worried about being a burden. Maybe we should trust other people to be honest with us if they have boundaries, you know, or if like it's too much. But unless you open up and let people in, it's really hard to get close. And uh, I share an interesting story from one of the women I interviewed who talked about going through a time of crisis in her life and she really needed help. And so she told her friends in this women's group, she was like, this is what I'm struggling with. Oh my gosh, like I just need support right now. I'm really having a hard time. And it was out of that level of deep, deep trust and safety and vulnerability that she was able to deepen so many friendships. And these women were like more than happy to be there for her. They were like, yes, you can come to my house if you need to. How can I help you? Like, what is it that would support you? It feels good to help another person. It feels really good to feel trusted and to feel valued, to be asked to show up. And in that experience, she was able to get so much closer with these women. And then later she showed up for them. And it ended up being this like beautiful story of reciprocity and closeness. And that only happens when you trust each other enough to really be real with each other. So that's the other thing is like, say what you need to say or make an ask if you need to make an ask and let other people decide if it's too much of a burden for them. I love that. So it sounds like a lot of the challenges that people deal with when it comes to forming friendships and relationships, it kind of comes down to having conversations that may be somewhat awkward or, or hard to have, right? Like I always find, like when I hear this kind of advice, I'm like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But to actually like say to someone like that you want to be a closer friend and and kind of broach that subject, it, it, it feels direct in a way that kind of going back to like, you just kind of hope or you expect friendships to form organically. And this is just kind of calling out that you need to be more intentional about it and you want to have a conversation about it. It feels like uncomfortable. I think it's uncomfortable if we're unpracticed at it. Mm. And it's also useful to know that there's not just one way to do this. So if having a direct conversation is like, oh my gosh, like really freaky, you don't want to do it. You could also just do it in your actions, you know? Like if you want to do a better job of checking in on people or like, you know, their love language is gifts. So you like send them like a pizza and like a really cool shirt or something mm -hmm. like you can also just show up as a better friend and then they will notice that you, wow, you've been so thoughtful lately. Like, thank you so much. And it's like, maybe that's then a way to broach like, yeah, you know, I've really been trying to be more intentional about friendships this year. And I want you to know, I really appreciate you being in my life. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't have to feel like performance review. Jeez, no, like, please do not make it feel like a performance review. But imagine how lovely it would feel if someone that you really liked came and said to you, you know, I really value you as a friend. And I want to do more to show up as a better friend this year. It's a, it's a goal that I have. If there's anything that I can do in our friendship, like, feel free to let me know. But I want you to know, like, I'd love to share more experiences with you, have more conversations about XYZ topics, and really get to grow this friendship over a long time. Like, how would you feel if someone said that to you? I would feel great. <laughs> if it's someone that I did like, if it's <laughs> someone that I didn't really like, then I'd feel really uncomfortable. Yeah. And if, it, <laughs> if it's something that you don't like, you know, it's just like telling someone if you're dating, you're like, you know, I appreciate, thank you for sharing that with me, but I don't feel the same way. You know, I, I like the acquaintanceship that we have right now or whatever it may be. And to say like, this is all I have capacity for, but thank you so much for telling me how you feel. And I really hope 
that this year is really good for you, you know, in cultivating the thing that you want. I'm curious if you've noticed anything interesting happening during COVID when it comes to friendships and relationships. It, it feels like a kind of, I don't know, like a researcher's dream a little bit of just like, what would happen <laughs> if all of a sudden, you know, people couldn't just like go out and hang out in bars and restaurants and all the places they rely on to meet people. And they were forced to come up with new habits and routines. What are things that you've witnessed that have been kind of like a positive impact for people in their relationships? And, and what are the bigger struggles that people are having right now? So one of the things I've noticed that I think has been a real positive thing is that more people are willing to have a conversation about connection because we're all experiencing some form of disconnection. You know, social distancing is like, like even the phrase social distancing is like bothered me the entire time. Cause I know. I'm like, what, Cause I'm like, what we mean is physical distance. Exactly. It's not social. It's not social. Like, please, please don't socially isolate yourself while you keep your physical distance. But because we're all experiencing the same thing together right now, what a wonderful segue. You know, it's like the world just gave you the best segue possible to talk about connection and to talk about intentionality in the relationships that you have. And with that, as any maker or creator or artist out there knows, constraints are a really great source of creativity. If somebody says, like, make a sculpture, you're like, okay, what do I do? But if they hand you, like, a block of clay and, like, a bag of Cheerios, it's like, wow, your mind suddenly developed an image, right? Mm -hmm. And so with the constraints that we have of this current moment, I've been really impressed with the kinds of creativity and flexibility that a lot of people have shown in adapting to the temporary time that we're in and saying, like, we can still be a part of each other's lives. We can still share some of the experiences we want to share, we'll just do it differently. The other day I was asking on Twitter for people to share some examples, you know, like favorite ways that they've connected from a distance. And like some of the stories were really heartwarming. You know, one woman talked about how her and her friend take the same yoga class online on YouTube. And then immediately after class ends, they hop on the phone and have a conversation. Just like you might, you know, at the end of a yoga class you went to in person with somebody, you might go get a coffee or a smoothie. And it's like, you can still do the same yoga class and have the conversation and have the coffee or the smoothie, but you're just going to do it at your apartments, you know? Um, so that's like a really cool kind of adaptation. Another thing a couple of people spoke about was the importance of scheduling. And this goes back to kind of the frequency question is like, it's not just going to magically happen unless you live in the same place with the same exact life and schedule and work and hobbies. Uh, you need to make time for each other. And so people saying, you know, I'm scheduling a, a standing book club meeting where every single week we get together and make sure that we talk about the books that we're reading. You know, that's a, a level of purpose that they're bringing to connecting by saying like, let's put it in our calendars. Let's make sure this is as important to our time as the other things that we're doing. That's a really big one. That's really interesting. Yeah, and uh, that definitely resonates. Like we started doing like a weekly walk with a friend who happens to live in our neighborhood, but like we can't, you know, during lockdown, you couldn't even go to restaurants or bars or things that we'd usually do. So we just started doing a, a regular walk at the same time. Um, so creating that kind of consistency is, is a huge factor in it. I'm wondering as well if people, my experience has been centering on that inner circle more because in some ways it's like the, my middle rings have disappeared because it's like I have the people that are so close to me that I'm willing to invest in seeing in person, even though it's really hard. 
and and somewhat risky now so but like we'll like go to a park and hang out and kind of have like our inner circle that we're willing to go see and spend time together as safely as possible and then i have like the broader social network that because everything's remote there's like a lot of kind of different people to connect with in different groups but kind of that like middle ring of friends who like are people that i would see once in a while has a little bit faded during COVID. That's perfectly natural. That's perfectly natural. Because with the limitations of the time, like it's not as easy to maintain those once in a while connections, like to meet for coffee like it might have before with every single loose tie. Uh, it's just like maybe not as realistic right now. And I think it's okay to say like we're hitting the pause button. Um, we can't do every single thing at the exact same capacity that we could before. And what a gift to also use this time to intentionally cultivate that close circle. Mm -hmm. Last question before our rapid fire question round. As a community builder, most of the people listening to the show are, are community builders. I'm curious how you think about how community builders can create an environment for deeper, more meaningful friendships to form within their communities. What can community builders do to help their members form real, lasting, deep relationships that are more than just kind of that passive, shallow level? Anything that you can do that will help people experience the attributes of close friendships will help. So certainly frequency, like if you're meeting on a regular cadence, like they don't have to schedule it, they just got to show up and you're doing that frequently enough that they can build familiarity. Really great. Things that help them build commitment with each other. So um, I love something that you had shared on Twitter about, you know, audience is helping people, but community is helping people help each other. And so help people help each other. You know, if we know going into it that a lot of people feel uncomfortable, you know, asking for help, or, or knowing how to give help, if you create a norm that allows people to do that and then reward that experience, people will do it and they will really enjoy it and it won't feel awkward, you know? So create experiences that allow them to have that kind of interaction is a really awesome way to build community. And anything that like pulls away the small talk and gets into real talk, big benefit. Help people go beyond the superficial. A lot of people want to, but they're not sure how. So be really intentional with the conversation starters that you use. You can also name that this is a special place to have a conversation that's deeper than you would typically have with small talk or just being like, what do you do? Where are you from? It's like, hey, we don't do that in this hour. We actually talk about different things and provide prompts that help people either uh, have those conversations or riff on those prompts to have a different conversation and make it easy for people. Because a lot of people really, really want this stuff, but they're not sure how to get it on their own. And the biggest lesson I took away from writing this book was like, the less you keep it in the shadow, keep it invisible, the easier it is to solve. So when I said to people, I'm working on a book about adult friendship, people are like, oh my God, I'm so, I really want to talk about that. It's been hard or it's been this. And, but they don't talk about it to anybody because everybody feels like you can't talk about it but everybody wants to talk about it. So say, this is a place to talk about XYZ thing, you know, no matter what it is, what whatever topic that you tend to focus on in your work or that you want to bring to your community as a source of growth and learning. Love that. Yeah. I, and I think that having those spaces of vulnerability where people can truly have real talk, those are where the strongest communities form. It's it's not on the like I have a question and you know you have an answer like those are nice but the real relationships form when people are able to kind of 
take off their armor and their mask and, and be real with each other and have that safe space. And, and we know that those, you know, communities where real friendships form turn out to be really, really strong communities, too, because now the depth of connection is so strong at the core of that community that those those people are going to feel really connected and committed to the group and are probably going to stick around for a long time because they, they actually have real relationships that they feel accountable to in that group. Love it. All right, Kat, are you ready for the rapid fire question round? I'm ready. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> You'd be I the am. first one to be truly ready. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is your favorite book to give as a gift to others? It's The Secret Lives of Color. I actually have multiple copies on my bookshelf at all times, so I can give one as a gift if I need to. What is that about? It's about the secret lives of color. It's <laughs> What does that mean? <laughs> so each page, so the researcher devoted, she researched the history and experience of colors over time, and each page is a different color, and she tells incredible stories about the history, the cultivation, the art, the political, like there are so many things associated with colors that we just take for granted now. It's like, oh yeah, there's a whole rainbow of colors, palette, use them all. But that was not always the case. Many colors didn't exist for a long time or it was illegal for, you know, plebeians to like wear them. Only the royalty could wear them, you know, different things like that. And it is absolutely fascinating. I love that. It's one of my favorite books to give. I love it. I want to read that book now. Great one. <laughs> okay. Next, who's an up-and-coming community builder that you recommend we all follow? Uh, so up-and-coming community builders, actually more of a creator, but kind of building community, is this website called If Lost Start Here. Um, it's run by a couple of women, Amanda and Claire, and they started out as a way of helping people navigate moments of like needing peace by helping them connect with physical spaces that that readers and audience members contribute as like, in my city, when I feel lost or I feel overwhelmed, where do I go? And then people contribute places. So like wherever you are, you could kind of look up a place to go. And over the last year in the pandemic, they've expanded that to like, what do we do around mental wellness overall? And so they've added on additional resources like journal prompts and books and music and podcasts and projects to check out. And it's just lovely. I really, really love the work they're doing and I recommend checking it out. I love that. I want to check that out too. All right. You're two for two. Next up, what's a go-to community engagement tactic or conversation starter that you like to use in your communities? So this is one you can use in your communities and also in your one-on-one -on -one friendships with people when you're, you know, catching up with each other. Um, instead of saying, how are you? Try something else. And one of my favorite alternatives to how are you is like, what's been in your tabs lately? Because that will tell you much more about where someone's mind has been or like what's up in their life than just saying like, oh, how are you? I'm fine. I'm fine too. It's like, what a crap answer. It's like, no, let's talk about what's real. And if you know, like, oh, I was looking up this or oh, I was checking this out or you wouldn't believe this thing that happened. And usually that stuff's in your tabs. Ask each other what's in your tabs and get to know each other on a different level. Love it. I love replacements for how are you doing? And uh, what do you do? So same. I'm so tired of both those questions forever. <laughs> I'm curious, do you have other ones that are like good for like when you're meeting someone new in, in, in place of those? Yeah, I actually wrote a blog post at my website, We Should Get Together, and it's like 20 plus alternatives to how are you? I love it. Because <laughs> I'm really trying to give people alternatives to how are you? 
Um, you know, there's things for when you're just keeping it brief, like how are you feeling in this moment or what's shaking or what's the vibe today or did anything make you smile lately? And then there's things, there's a second category for things when you want to have like a deeper conversation, uh, some, you have more time, you know, so like what's uh, something you're looking forward to or something you've been dealing with, what's been on your mind that you want to talk about. Another question I really love is what do you do or don't want to talk about today? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes people will ask and you're just like, oh my God, I don't want to talk about work right now. But people always want to ask about work. And it's like, maybe the thing you want to talk about is this amazing book you're reading. But nobody ever says like, what do you want to talk about or not talk about? So things like Mm, that. I love that. I love that you split it up as well based on like a longer conversation versus a shorter one. Because it's also annoying when you're just like meant to just have a like a very brief like, hey, how's it going? And someone's like, what's most meaningful in your life? Oh, God. Oh, oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, it's like you need different different questions for different settings. Yeah, love it. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Uh, next question. What's your go-to self-care practice? Nature. Yes. Nature. Love nature. What's your favorite nature? Oh, my gosh. Right now, because I'm really into the stay-at-home vibe, is um, mm. looking. I'm looking out the window right now, and I'm watching these tiny little birds eat cherry blossoms like they pick them Mm -hmm. off the tree and there's something at the base of the cherry blossom that they like must be a small seed but since the cherry blossoms are in bloom honestly i could just watch them pick cherry blossoms in their tiny little beaks all day it's very specific i like it so (laughs) so beautiful Um, but honestly i love growing plants i'm a master gardener I, i grow a lot of different kinds of things and so anytime i'm in the yard um picking growing weeding anything like that i'm happy love it I love my plant babies too. Mm-hmm. Mostly houseplants because we don't have a yard, but one day mm-hmm. I will have a yard. All right. Next up. Would you rather have one good friend for the rest of your life or a hundred loose connections? One good friend, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? You'd be good with just one good friend. Well, if I had to pick between a hundred loose connections, God, I'm a I'm a mm. depth person. I'm like, mm. I want to go scuba diving. And I think it would feel frustrating and lonely at a certain point to only have loose connections that I can never go deep with because then I would never feel fully known and I would never feel like I could fully know them. Good answer. What about you? <laughs> Wait, no, I don't I answer know, questions I know. on you this podcast. You ask the questions right now. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's okay. I can answer. Um, yeah, I think the same thing. Like, I mean, it, it's like the extrovert in me is like painting to want the hundred because like I love meeting lots of different people and having lots of different kinds of conversations and being able to kind of like move through different groups. But I think like at the end of the day, I would really miss that depth and like having someone that I can have real talk with and really go deep with and who really knows me. I think like that just, that's much more important. Yeah, I agree. Hard question, self. I shouldn't, I should make it easier on people. <laughs> okay. Next question. What's the weirdest community you've ever, ever been a part of? <laughs> so I spent a year living in uh, intentional community, pretty much semi off the grid in the rural coastal jungle of the Southeast edge of the big Island. Ooh. Yeah. That's awesome. It was the most unusual community and also the most immersive community I've been a part of, you know, cause I was living there full time for a year. Hmm. But it was also uh, one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. So I'm really glad I sold all my stuff in my apartment and packed it backpack and <laughs> went to the jungle. <laughs> well, when did you do that? I did that in 2013. 
Oh my goodness, that's so cool. Yeah. And so was it like uh, you grow everything you eat kind of thing and everyone has roles within the community? Everyone did have roles. We did not grow everything we ate. That's a, It was over 125 people. Um, it's a lot of growing. That's not possible. <laughs> yeah, it was not possible to grow everything we ate. We could not do that. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, there were people with different roles associated with like caring for the grounds, making food, running the volunteer community, which I did a lot of, caring for the spaces, which I did too. And so, yeah, it's a really amazing experience I'm glad I got to have. It was a sabbatical that I, if I, if you ever get to take a sabbatical and do something weird like that, do it. <laughs> I think maybe those days have passed for me now that we have a baby, <laughs> but I wish. Well, I, th- I think it's like a lot of people's kind of fantasy, especially right now during COVID, you hear a lot of people talk about like, uh, we could just like move away from the city and live, live in nature and like a, a intentional community. What would you say to people who are kind of like fantasizing about it? Like what, what was like the best part and what was the worst part of living in a community like that? Well, the best part is the openness that I think people come to that experience with. You don't really go into something like that. You don't stumble in, you know, you came there on purpose. Yeah. And so there's a sense of shared purpose and uh, interest, which is nice. Um, but as an introvert, God, the worst part of being there is I was always around 125 people at all times. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I need to be alone sometimes. I need to recharge on my own. And so the lack of solitude or personal space could sometimes be a challenge <laughs> as an introvert. Even in nature? Did you have your own place or did you have to like share rooms as well? It was a mix of things. There was everything from like tents to huts to dorms to all kinds of stuff. And so... You could get like a semblance of your own little space, but you're still like pretty close to other people. Yeah, you're kind of all very integrated in each other's lives. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but it was really, hmm. really amazing. That is very interesting. Yeah, you think about that in the context of the conversation around cities and stuff too. And like, you know, what, how did we build society? We built it in a way where like lots of things are taken care of for us by like the government and by the system and by society. And so we can kind of have more like more alone time or like just focus on things we want to do but in a community like that there is no like police department showing up there there's no Mm-mm. you know people there's no restaurants cooking for you necessarily it's like everyone has to kind of rely on each other but that means you have to have a very active role you, you don't have this society taking care of a lot of these things for you and it, yeah and there's a lot of benefits to having an active role and to needing to play an active role because you, you have a sense of purpose and visibility in the space. Cause, totally. Yeah. Hmm. A lot of trade-offs. Yeah. Interesting. I wonder what it would feel like to be to actually do it. Maybe one day. Mm-hmm. Maybe in retirement. All right. Last question. If you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you had to condense all of your life lessons into one Twitter-sized piece of advice for the rest of the world for how to live, what would that advice be? Whatever your gift is, give it. And whatever your purpose is, live it. Why is that your advice? That's how I try to live my life. And that's how the people that I admire the most in the world live theirs. You know, they're generous with their gifts, their curiosities, the light that they uniquely bring into the world. They give it. And similarly, with when you do that, you get closer and closer to your purpose. And the more you live in your purpose, the more fulfilling life is. I agree. <laughs> Great advice. Awesome, Kat. This was incredible. I learned a ton. I think the work you're doing is 
extremely critical today and a lot of people's lives are going to be improved by reading your book and I think lots of community builders are going to learn a ton from reading your book and understanding how to help other people form more meaningful friendships and relationships so just really grateful for you and and all the work you're doing and for sharing all of your lessons with the rest of the world and thanks for taking the time to chat with me today Thanks for everything you do for the community of community builders and facilitators and people who care about people. Like the way that you care about people is so evident and the way you make it possible for more people to do better and be well taken care of as they do that work is really special. So thank you too, David. Thanks, Scott. I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, so the books, we, we should get together. Anywhere else that people should go to follow you? I'm on Twitter at Kat Velos and Instagram at Kat Velos underscore author. And uh, they can find me there. Head to my website, we should get together.com, and reach out anytime. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Kat. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.